This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? the show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hoover. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? My name is Maya Hoover, and I'm the host of What Was Her Name? Uh, Today, I am here with my guest, Grace, and I'm really uh, eager to get into this episode. Grace, if you would go ahead and just introduce yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, by the way. I know we've been trying to get together for quite a few weeks and yeah, yeah I'm really excited. Yeah. So my name is Grace Stewart. I'm 26 years old. I actually found Maya through TikTok. I had started a page back in October about Uh, my story with domestic violence, and I came across her story. And um, yeah, the podcast just really caught my attention because just of how in-depth she goes with guests and a lot of the aspects of spiritual abuse, which which is a big part of my story that I haven't shared. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, I love that. I didn't, I know that we've been trying to get on, I've been trying to get you on the podcast and it's just like holidays and all the things, but, um, I know how social media brings people together because I just never know like how someone comes across the podcast or comes across my page. And so Uh it's just really cool to hear like just different avenues, but yeah, I'm really eager to hear your story. And I actually haven't read, like, I mean, this outline that you had made, um, I haven't read for yeah. yet, you know, so I'm excited to get into it. I'm excited to jump into it and hear your story. I love, I don't love spiritual abuse. I hate spiritual abuse, but I love I know, it. me too. So I'm like, let's go. I'm so ready for it. Isn't um, it just one of those things that you just hate? I mean, that's like all forms of abuse are horrible, but I feel like that aspect just adds so much oh, complexity and it's just, it's a whole story in itself. It really is. And it goes so deep because it really Mm -hmm. does like hook into you know a lot of the values that we've been taught and so when it gets enmeshed with or like it gets tangled with abuse it can be Mm -hmm. when you're out really difficult to sort of untangle that with your spirituality as well and so it's it is ugly and a mess um but yeah absolutely uh, something that needs to be talked about. And I think something that's been more talked about recently, I mean, 
that I've seen on platforms as well as just in this space, it seems like every week we're talking about spiritual abuse lately and I'm not even playing. I know. So that's kind of crazy. Um, I know I had, I wish I had learned about your page or your podcast when I was still in the situation, but I think I only came across it after I started my page and um, yeah, it's something I haven't shared on TikTok and I hope people who follow me on there don't feel like they're kind of like meeting me for the first time through new things that I'll share. But I always try to be really honest with my followers and yeah, so we'll get into it. Yeah, let's get into it. All right. Um, so I guess <laughs> first question um, that I always ask is how did you guys meet? Yeah, so we actually met back in 2018. We met at um, a public place relating to his job. And what happened was there was an initial interaction between us. And then I continued frequenting, frequenting this place. Eventually, he handed me his number and things kind of went from there. So essentially, kind of like a seed had been planted during that first interaction with us. And it kind of just grew over time, really. Um, yeah, so I was actually 20 at the time. I'm 26 now. He was 33. He's 14 years older than me. And that that's something I don't think anybody knows. Of course, everybody in my life knows that. But it's something I didn't share initially, because I think a lot of people hook on to that and think, oh, well, that's just, that's bad right there, you know, and, you know, you should have stopped right there. But mm -hmm. what happens is, you know, I was 20, I was um, kind of infatuated with the idea of who he was, and he was very well liked. A lot of people wanted to be around him. He, you know, got girls and at the time yeah I just I didn't know what I was getting into I would have no idea um how it would turn my life upside down I think you said something interesting um you said a lot of people don't know that because when people mm -hmm. hear that they would then say oh well you you know should have known better and right I think that's really sad but also very accurate and also very interesting because in some ways in our stories, <clears throat> we almost like, it's like there is a judgment and almost this like societal stigma on women who go through abusive relationships and there's this like sounding, mm -hmm. you should have known better. And yes. I mean, you were 20, <laughs> you were so mm -hmm. young. Um, I know, I know. So I just think that's really interesting. Um, what yeah. of abuse themes are we going to go through today? Um, if you want to just give like a brief. Yeah. So there's multiple themes that run through my story. And those are his drug addiction, uh, the spiritual abuse, and then the domestic abuse, mm -hmm. which all falls under the umbrella of domestic abuse. But they're all very intertwined. And right. they were intertwined in such a way that it became nearly impossible for me to weave my way out of it. Yeah. Um, it's truly a miracle that I did get out. And I think you'll see that through my story. But I, they were so intertwined that I literally thought I, I would never leave for good. Mm. It, was, it was impossible. Yeah. Um, 
How long was the relationship? Yeah. So we were together five, about five years total. I think it might've been six. Um, We met in 2018. That was our first interaction. We kind of had an on and off thing for about a year. And then we started seriously dating in 2019. We eventually got married about two years ago. And now we are officially divorced. Mm. So, you know, I think one thing I want to say before I get into the story is like, it's so important with the cycle of abuse to understand that there's there's great times in there. You know, the good times are often what confuse us in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then the more we get into it, those good times still pop up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes throughout the whole relationship, the cycle can sometimes get tighter towards the very end. But I think, um, you know, when he was good, he was great. And when he was bad, it was terrible. Damn. So that's how it keeps going. Yeah, I think that's so 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 brilliant because I think that people don't realize that one it's a slow grow often nobody just dates and then they just you know mm-hmm. the woodworks abusing you because if they did you wouldn't nobody's gonna sit there and stay nobody walks into abuse and says mm, right he's really cute so I think it's worth it no it's mm-hmm. a slow progression of manipulation and <clears throat> it is consistently that like cycle, like you said, where there's that tension build up, that honeymoon phase where they make it up to you and they're sorry. Oh yeah. Revert back to how they were in the beginning. And you're like, oh, oh yeah. It'd be better. And then I know over time, the consistency of that cycle, it really does start to, I mean, deteriorate. You're already deteriorating like who you are. And so it gets very, very cloudy and it's very hard to step out of that because they weren't always bad and there were good times. Mm-hmm. And that is a mindfuck yeah. in and of itself. I know, I know. And my story is difficult for me to share because uh, I will say majority of the abuse occurred before we got married. It it went on for a very long time beforehand. And so uh, I think it it definitely got worse after we got married, but there was very blatant abuse going on beforehand. And that's why it's hard to share because um, sharing on TikTok has proven that some people cannot understand that. And I don't know that I expect them to, but you know, the comments you get and um, I've never shared kind of beginning to end. So you know, TikTok, it's difficult. Your zone. Like it's, <laughs> I, oh, I know people are so mean on there. Like the kind of comments I get at this point, I'm just like, I just protect my peace and I'm like, won't respond or I'll just, you know, but mm-hmm. I, people are so mean on there. And I mean, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. I always say that, but at the same time, mm-hmm. people are just, people just don't get it. And they're like, they're mean. <laughs> they're, I don't know. It's just, yeah. And when I've shared my story on there, it's an extremely condensed version. I mean, this is five or six years of my life. When you really think about that, it's it's a lot. And, you know, I'm sharing within maybe 15 seconds. So it's extremely condensed. Mm. Yeah. Can uh, you describe to me um, how the relationship was initially in the beginning? Yeah. So the way I normally describe it is, he sort of went from being indifferent towards me to 
almost owning me. There was never like a comfortable in between. Um, there was never a slow phase where we were just getting to know each other and seeing, you know, it went from me kind of being my young 20 year old self and, you know, wanting to be with him. And he just as much wanted to get involved with me. But at first he was kind of indifferent towards it. Like, yeah, you can go hang out with someone else or you can't, I I don't care because you're not mine. Um, But once he put the girlfriend title on it, it switched to, you know, now you're mine. I kind of got that feeling and I didn't know that early on, but looking back, that's very much the switch. It went from indifference to your mind now. Um, so we had actually slept together when I was 20 and we had a thing for that whole summer. That's how the relationship started off. And I knew it wasn't the right thing for me. I knew it wasn't what God had for me, but I quickly became, I call it toxically loyal to him. And sure. I kind of wrote down that it's possible to get trauma bonded to someone after just one interaction. I know it because I lived it. And um, it really only took one experience with him to become pretty bonded to him. And so, um, yeah, like I knew it wasn't the right thing at the time. But once that um, that bond formed, I I couldn't see. Really couldn't see you said something um, that I love. You said um, toxically loyal. And mm-hmm. I think there really is a difference between loyalty and a toxic loyalty. And being yes. that like requires you to <clears throat> abandon self is abandoning your values, is abandoning your self-worth or intuition. It's a toxic yes. loyalty. And I really love that because I don't think we maybe talk about that that much, you know, that there's, there is a difference between loyalty and a toxic loyalty. So I really, really like that. that. Yeah, absolutely. And I was sort of loyal to him before we even became um, exclusively dating. I, I think I always sensed that he was a jealous, a jealous and angry person. My body knew before my brain knew. Mm -hmm. And, um, I behaved accordingly. Mm-hmm. I I um I planned accordingly. You know, I defended our relationship a lot and I kind of already stopped hanging out with friends and stuff because I think I already knew my body knew he was a jealous person and I wanted to protect it. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by toxic loyalty. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. but the first time we ever hung out this is something I realized much later on, but he, um, I remember he randomly told me something that I will never forget. And he said, Oh, I would never strike a woman. And I thought that was really weird. I think, um, we were in the car together. He was driving fast for some reason. And, um, this is the very first time we went out together and he's told me he would never strike a woman. And I thought that was the strangest thing ever. Um, unprompted. Um, I think he was driving quickly and I said, oh, you're, you know, kind of scaring me. And he, um, somehow he weaved in in there. I don't remember exactly how, but I feel like that foreshadowed like the rest of the relationship because 
a lot of times people think, well, he never punched me. I must not be in an abusive relationship. And that was my story. He never, he never did strike me. And so, um, yeah, it just led to a lot of confusion. God, that's like so damn, uh, like your, your story. I'm already just sitting here. Like you get, <laughs> even I'm like shaking. Like, uh, Cause it's like, I, I just can't like, it's, it's just consistent and on par. It's like, well, I never hit women or, well, I never hit you or have I ever hit you? And it's like Mm -hmm. that groundwork almost for you because it's in the back of your head. You're experiencing whatever, whatever whatever we're going to hear coming up, but I know, yeah, but he never hit me. So am I really being Mm -hmm. or am I not? Because exactly. never hit me and he would never hit I know. And he just said it. So he just sweeped it in there. So strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second odd thing with our first interaction was the first time we ever slept together. He he left bruises on me. I mean, mm-hmm. he had bruised me throughout the relationship in different ways. But oddly enough, he never really striked me. Yet he bruised me. Mm-hmm. He found any way to kind of break me in and and um he found any way to put his hands on me besides you know a slap or a punch and I was bruised several times throughout the relationship and that was the first time is that he um kind of masked it as he was just so passionate and um I remember the next day having bruises on my body Mm. on my hips and thinking that's so strange that I have that, but I, but I thought it was a good interaction. You know, I, I, yeah, it's hard to explain, but they will find ways to leave bruises on you without, um, you know. Hmm. And I think it's, it's even like, um, the next day, like you saying, huh, that's strange. Like, I thought it was a good interaction, but my mm-hmm. body has bruises on it. And that's not a t- right. typical, you know, thing from int- intimacy, probably f- for you. I don't know. Right. And so it's like, <laughs> it's like your intuition, even in that moment, it's like, huh, this doesn't feel right. Something feels like that's weird, but I'm going to like ignore it because, yeah, you know, and so I think it's just interesting, um, not interesting. It's just like, hearing even like your ability to like kind of navigate like what you were thinking in that time it's like you can you can mm-hmm. set you can hear your intuition kind of even in, in that very early stage saying this mm-hmm. is weird but then kind of just overlooking it and giving benefit of the doubt Which yeah and keep you didn't keep have in mind any- at the time yeah go ahead oh I was just saying it makes sense because you didn't have enough information back then about him to to make a decision yeah, exactly. And I haven't had enough experiences yet in my life. I mean, I was only 20 and I knew this wasn't the right thing for me at the time. I I, I knew that. But like I said, I got, it moved very fast. And so um, I just thought, well, that's just, that's just weird. That's just how it went. And so, um, yeah, it starts small. But what happened next is I eventually found out about his drug addiction Mm. and that wasn't until about maybe five or six months into knowing him but I had no idea 
to what extent. Um, by the time I knew he had a serious drug addiction, I was already deeply bonded to him. All the groundwork had sort of been laid by that point. And um, even then, I, I didn't understand the extent. Even then, um, I didn't I didn't know how bad it was. And so um, he was addicted to crack cocaine. It was really bad. And I knew nothing about it. Honestly, I knew nothing about it. You might see in my story on TikTok how he behaves very um, erratic. And in some of the messages, it's like him yelling at me a lot and um, kind of almost hallucinating, thinking I was cheating on him and that was a lot of that was from the drug addiction Mm. and so it was a huge part of our story um it kind of it almost quickly turned into us against the problem where he was kind of hopeless to his addiction and then he needed to be rescued all the time and he would always act like he needed to be to be rescued spiritually and Mm. with um my my faith background i had a heart for him in that. And I was like, oh no, he's trying so hard to get back on track with God. Like, and I'm off track. Like I'm not walking the walk. Maybe, maybe I just need to give him the benefit of the doubt. Mm. Um, it turned into this whole thing. And um, yeah, I didn't grow up in a Christian home or anything like that. I had my own experience later in life and that's a whole nother story, but he oddly had that background more than me. And so he was able to kind of, he had a lot of knowledge about God and the Bible and just like, he was able to weave it right in there. Yeah. So. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When did you first notice that something was wrong? So, like I said, we officially started dating in late 2019. And, you know, there was a lot of abuse before we got married leading up. I would say the very first thing I noticed was wrong was his constant sexual coercion. This was a huge, huge part of our story. Um, and most of, a lot of the abuse was sexual abuse. It got very blatant and very violent, um, pertaining to the sexual abuse. So just a trigger warning in advance, but his sexual coercion was constant, um, kind of making me do sexual acts anytime we were together, um, to where it became normal. And Mm -hmm. It happened in such a way where he would always frame it as an accident. Like, oh, we just fell into this. Mm. And I was like, he made it seem like such, such a oops thing, you know, and, or that he was physically hurting and needed his needs met. Maybe not physically hurting is the word, but like, like he wasn't okay. He created this atmosphere that 
he was suffering because we needed to do this, that, and the other thing. We needed to do what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And um, just slowly pushing those boundaries, just pushing them, pushing them until I found myself in scenarios with him. And um, it became very normal. So much so that he was able to do it more constant. And I never would tie it to the word sexual coercion. I would never tie it to the word sexual assault. And um, yet my body was experiencing the coercion, the assault. That's what my body was experiencing. And I think when our bodies are going through so much pain and trauma, like we need something to call it. We just want a word for it. And we think that our experience is so um, so unique that we think that we can't tie it to a word. We feel alone. And um, we start thinking, well, okay, if he only did this, um, then I'll have something to call my experience. If I only said no clearer, then I'll have something to call my experience. Mm-hmm. And that is where a lot of the pain lies. Yeah. Yeah. So um I'm just sorry, but, I'm just thinking really quick. Um yeah. Do you feel like when the sexual coercion was starting, like for you, that intimacy, did you feel like it was something that because it because it almost sounds like it wasn't necessarily like something mutual? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's correct. Would you say that for you, you felt pressure because you knew he was going through a lot. So you were like trying to make him feel better. Or would you say it was like an act of building intimacy with him because you felt disconnected because of the addiction? Like what, what, do you, what was it for you in that time? I'm just curious. Yeah. So it was the first, the first thought line. Um, and that is, you know, he was wrapped up in his addiction, but there were long periods of time when he was sober. So he was continually in an effort to remain sober. And so a lot of times, you know, that lasted a pretty long time. And he was kind of always just about to turn his corner and have his big breakthrough. Um, And therefore, it makes you kind of stay through that, especially not having an understanding of addiction. So what happened was, I was always worried that something would cause him to slip back into it and that I would feel that cause in some way. I felt greatly responsible. I just felt many layers of responsibility for him. Like I felt responsible for his life at some points. And of course I wasn't, but he really created that atmosphere that almost like he was always on the brink of, you know, sometimes on the brink of suicide just he was always having some type of crisis and like he just he never blatantly said to me like if you leave me I'm gonna I'm gonna kill myself he never said those words but he created an atmosphere where he was continually like on the brink of that and I never want to discredit that someone could be on the brink of that but Mm -hmm. the thing is I believe he used it to manipulate me Mm -hmm. and um So he was going through his addiction. Sometimes he was sober, sometimes not. And um, he created this, um, eh, it was almost like if he didn't get his needs met, it was going to kind of spin him out. He would need to get his needs met somewhere else. And he didn't want to go do that. 
Mm. So we have to like, we have to come to a compromise. Mm -hmm. I hate that word. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, The beautiful compromise. And then there's also in. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So just a lot of chaos and you know, that he needed his needs met or else it was going to spin him on a thought on a thought process that he didn't want to go down, that he needed somewhere to channel his stress. Mm-hmm. And this idea of channeling his stress turned into channeling his anger through the sexual stuff. Mm-hmm. It, he, I'll get into that a little bit later, but um yeah, he was using it to like, he needed to release his stress, basically, mm-hmm. is what he told me. And that carried a lot of weight behind it because of, you know, his problems. So, um, but the second thing was always these subtle patterns of disrespect is what I call it. And um, basically, he was slowly trying to just like invade my personal space until there was no room left for me. Damn. And just continually testing those boundaries, literally slowly invading my space. And I've shared this on TikTok before, but it kind of looked like poking, pinching, biting, uh, even like tickling me until I didn't want to be tickled, Uh, running into me when we were walking next to each other. He always had to be like overpowering me in some way through his body language. And some of these things like poking, pinching, whatever might not sound like anything to some people, but when someone is continually doing those things, they're disrespecting you. If you don't want to be poked, then they shouldn't be. He was doing it to test my boundaries and he always left marks from pinching or biting, you know, and he framed it as, that he could never be himself around me. He said, if I can't, I can't be myself around you. I can't even tickle you. I'm, I'm just tickling you. I'm just poking you. Um, but at the very end of the relationship, it turned into, I barely put my hands on your neck. I barely put my hands on your neck. That was like the final incident where he was arrested. But um, that's the progression. I barely did this. I barely did that until it um, escalates. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Like when you say that it um, was like a slow progression because, well, a slow progression, but also that him testing your boundaries came through ways that were very subtle. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I think that's just an interesting observation. I've never really thought about yeah. that before. Um, but those subtle ways of like disrespect. So he, um, he was also disrespecting me every time we visited his family. For some reason, when we were on their turf, I was disrespected and not necessarily by his parents, but more so by him. They lived far away from us. So we would go to visit them here and there. And, um, they spoke Spanish. They also spoke English, but my ex spoke Spanish as well. And um, sometimes I felt like he w- they were speaking in Spanish to exclude me, or he would speak in Spanish to exclude me. And on our honeymoon, it's part of the story on our honeymoon where he eventually 
he was like speaking in Spanish um, on the honeymoon when we were in another country to isolate me and make me feel confused. Basically, I don't speak any Spanish and um, just mumbling under his breath, saying disrespectful things that I can't do anything right. I remember one time um, the shower curtain fell when I was taking a shower at his parents' house. And I was like, hey, can you help me with this? And he would get so mad at every little thing. I could not do anything right. It was like, I remember him mumbling under his breath, um, like, why can't you effing do anything right? Mm. I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, you know? Right, like so um, many, like such something so small and he just makes it such a big deal. Yeah, exactly. And um, he would just compare me to other women a lot just all this disrespect, but it was always quickly followed up by an apology and threw me right back into the, the next phase of the cycle where we would, he would be really good for a long period of time. Again, he could go long periods of time being respectful or being normal. And then, um, that's what always kept me. It made me, it brought me to such a high when we would get back on that good ground that I was like, Oh, I can't, you know, I never want to come down from this. Mm. I, I don't want to go back into the bad phase. So you start trying to prevent it and the cycle just repeats over and over. Um, so there were a couple of times when we broke up for a short period of time, but there was one attempt where I actually tried to leave him. I think this was the first time I actually tried to break up with him. Um, when things were bad during, you know, our dating phase. And what happened was he had, we were going to visit his family, of course. I don't know why this set him off, but he had did did something that disrespected me that night. And I told him, I'm not coming with you. I'm staying here. I'm not going. And I was going to leave him. Like I was going to break up with him right then. And um, I had took off from work that whole week to be able to go away with him. And then, so I told them I couldn't come to work that week. Mm-hmm. I um, got in a huge fight with him. He went on the trip. I didn't. And it threw me right back into that cycle of, oh no, I need him back. Oh no, what have I done? You know, I have ruined this whole thing. We start to blame ourselves right away. And um I had already told my job, you know, I'm going to come back to work because I didn't go on my trip. Well, he told me he wanted me to actually come. So I abandoned my job and went back on the trip with him because that feeling of going through withdrawal from those highs and lows, I couldn't, I was in such pain that I fell right back into the cycle with him. And I, I went on the trip. I lost my job at the time over this and at the time that was nothing to me because I had been so much in the cycle now that all that mattered was that I got that back on track I was it was like a survival mechanism that nothing else mattered I can put anything else to the side as long as this is okay and I lost my job over it Mm. um you know I was able to like find something else but that was one of the things that really bothered me because I was um, abandoning things that mattered to me because I now needed this to survive. Mm. Um, and things got intense that quickly. Like, 
yeah, it just, it was at that point I realized that I might never leave and that, um, that this is not good. Well, and I think that, um, I think that it's when you entered it, I mean, you didn't know that he had drug, he was uh, abusing drugs and then in an, in a way, like he almost was a drug for you. And so. Correct. Yes. Correct. Yeah. It was when you would try to remove yourself from that drug, right. You would have these Mm -hmm. lapses and this withdrawal and. Yes something that I tell girls a lot who are trying to leave and they're messaging me and they're like, this is so hard. And I'm like, it is hard. And what you have to realize and people who are listening now who've gone through it, Mm -hmm. you know already, but there's a lot of people listening who are getting curious about their relationships because they find that they relate to things that are being said here in this space. And you have to treat it like you are an addict, like, because this has become a drug and has conditioned you over time to need them. You are trauma bonded to them. And that trauma bond drug, it takes removing yourself and there are going to be withdrawals. And that's why so many times, I think it's like six to eight times women will leave and then return back to that situation. Why? Because it's a drug. They're addicted to it. Mm -hmm. And it takes withdrawing and it takes removing yourself from that situation. And it's really hard to do. Yes. Yeah. You said it perfect. And basically I coped by again, being toxically loyal to him. So I would do anything to control his reactions. Um, I wouldn't go out with friends. I would never text in front of him. I wouldn't take a call in front of him. And he had never blatantly said to me, don't text this person. Don't talk to them. You're not allowed to do this or that. He hadn't said those things to me yet, but my body knew that I had to control his reactions already. And that toxic loyalty, um, it didn't, nothing else mattered anymore. By this point, I was willing to defend the relationship pretty much to no end. And I don't think I was gonna stop at anything. Um, When I thought I possibly couldn't go any lower, I could go lower, I could go deeper. It didn't matter anymore. And again, there were long periods of good times too. So there were some steady, there was some steadiness in there at times where things were just cruising, um, which made me think all the more, okay, well, he can be good. So we're good. But yeah, I wouldn't stop at anything to defend it and kind of only putting myself around people who saw the best in him. It was all a survival mechanism and nothing Nothing else mattered anymore. Not the job I lost, not um, friendships that were lost, not the relationship with my parents that was lost. It literally destroyed my life. I I didn't hardly have anyone. Uh, A lot of my friendships remained intact, but there was a period of a whole year, or maybe it was only like eight months, where I pretty much lost my relationship with my parents. And that was painful, but oddly, the addiction was so strong that it really wasn't as painful as you would think because I had what I needed under control. And um, yeah, we were, I was no contact with my parents for like eight months because they weren't supportive of it. 
and we got in an argument and that was it. I said, you're cut out. You're cut out. I, I would cut you out. It didn't matter. I would just cut you right out because um, I needed to. Mm. I couldn't get out of this. I could not. I did not see it possible to endure leaving him permanently. To me, that was the ultimate pain. And even as the pain and the relationship progressed where the abuse got more blatant, even that sometimes didn't override the pain of what I thought it would take to leave him for good. Mm. So I coped by being 100% committed, 110% committed, I mean. Toxically loyal. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, The other part of that was just continually trying to please him and being his ideal body image. Um, He put a lot of stress on me to be really um, intense in the gym very intense in the gym. And I couldn't because my body was sick from stress. I weighed only 99 pounds on our wedding day, which is not good for me. Not good at all. I was wasting away. My body was under so much stress that I couldn't keep up with the intensity that he wanted me to be at. He used to say like, you're just, your lack of passion is causing me to become disinterested. My lack of passion with work or my lack of passion with um, working out in the gym or having something to call my own was now the reason that he was becoming unattractive to me. Yet he was the reason why I couldn't stay on track with all those things that I wanted to do because he was making me waste away. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a never ending cycle. Do you feel like prior to this, like what was your self-confidence like? Um, I would say it was in better shape. I mean, I think I was super young too. I didn't really know who I was yet. So I think it was really easy for him to swoop in and just sweep me off my feet. And, um, it was easy. No, I didn't know who I was yet. And, um, but he, he definitely destroyed my self-confidence a lot. I mean, I'm much more healed now. Like, um, I'm in a much different place, but it was a constant uh, fight to win his approval. I never felt like I was on secure ground. I always felt like, okay, once I'm at this point, then we'll be able to cruise in the relationship because I'll be able to keep his heart with me. Yeah, He's not going to be, have his mind elsewhere. I always felt like I was on the brink of losing him and um, just not having that security. It was really difficult. Yeah. But at the same time, also him being uh, controlling and while you, while you feel like you don't have that security with them, you also feel like they want to own you at the same time. It's kind of like a weird thing. Yeah. I just, I ask that because, uh, my friend Serena and I, the other day we were talking about that. Um, and we were saying that, uh, it's always these really common and just these very, I would say, I mean, yes, you were young. Like I was, I was the same age. I was 20. Um, and, but I also think that there's such a challenge for men when 
a woman is secure in herself. And I always see these women who are secure in themselves be slowly stripped apart. And it's like kind of like Mm -hmm. a game, but like something to accomplish. Um, And so I just was curious what that looked like for you prior. um, Because obviously we can hear the stripping. He's stripping away um, to your core of who you are. Um, Yes. Constantly in this position of striving for love. Yes approval striving for attraction you know absolutely and I think um you know people who are have a pattern of abuse they often like to kind of paint the picture that we just can't get back on track with our communication Mm -hmm. like it's an us problem Mm -hmm. we just can't get this back on on the right tracks um and that was a lot of the theme throughout our story is like I thought it was an us problem and that we just needed to kind of figure it out, but really nothing was going to, nothing was ever going to bring us to a good place, really. Yeah. Do you want to get into coercing? It's just, or I can, yeah. yeah. Do you want to get into that next part for me? Yeah, sure. So as I said, there was a lot of, there was instances of blatant abuse before we got married. And there were several instances where it was very traumatic and very violent. And um, yeah, trigger warning. There's a couple of things coming up. But keep in mind when I share these things, again, I was already deep into the cycle at this point. And a lot of times you know, some of the terms I'm about to use, we don't associate our experience with those terms yet. We just think, what am I dealing with here? We, we don't know what we're dealing with at the time. Yeah. And um, abusers often operate very much on automatic. So a lot of times things may not be premeditated. Like they are just so much who they are at the core that they are just spitting gaslighting at you. They are just that's who they are. They're just spitting it out like it's nothing. And so I used to think, okay, well, if he's not planning to abuse me ahead of time, and if he doesn't really know what he's doing, maybe I'm not being abused. Maybe I still have nothing to call it. And if he's not an abuser, then that means he can change. And so I became very confused because I thought, I need to know if he's going to change or not, because I was faced with new promises and new apologies every single day, whenever something happened. And so I thought, well, is he abusive or is he not? Is he a narcissist, a narcissist or is he not? Mm-hmm. And um, of course the answer was yes. I don't know about narcissists, but like they operate very much with ease. They do everything with ease. And so it can become very confusing. But um, what started to happen was he started coursing me into getting involved with his addiction in different ways. And it happened extremely slow. Um, I never ended up using, I never ended up doing anything. That was kind of like the chip on his shoulder. Like, well, I never made you do anything. You never used. Mm -hmm. I, I was the one who was doing the bad stuff. But what happened was he coursed me into getting involved, um, pretty heavily. And, um, It all started with the nail appointment story is what I call it. And what happened was 
he had asked me in advance, you know, I, I want to like party with you this weekend. I just want to drink. And I said, no, we can't drink. You're sober. And we're absolutely not doing that. Like I shut it down. And um, he was like, okay, but I still want to go away together this weekend. We have plans to go away. And he said, I booked you a nail appointment. He knows I love doing that. So he's like, I booked you a nail appointment. And then after that, I booked you this. So I'm going to take you to your nail appointment. Then I'm going to go get us food. And then we're going to head out for the trip. So I was like, perfect. I was super excited at this point. He knew how to bring me to that high. And I think we had just had a low. So now I was on that high again. And um, essentially what happened is while I was at my nail appointment, he went out and bought crack. He went out and bought drugs. Mm. He picked me up from my nail appointment and he took it out in my car and started using in my car. It lighting up in my car. And I was shocked. I was like, what the hell is happening? I had never even seen it like face to face, like to see a drug in front of you. It's like, I I didn't know what to do. When you're in the situation, you freeze. You can't see options at that point of, okay, now what do I do with him? Do I kick him out of my car? Do I leave him on the street? Um, you, You don't, you don't see the options in front of you. And so essentially I ended up keeping him with me that night because again, the whole relationship, he would always create an atmosphere that he was always on the brink of this or that, or he could relapse. And what if something happened to him? And now I know that he's using, and now I have to leave him at his house by himself to do the right thing, which would have been the right move. But I kept him with me and Later that night, I found myself in North Philadelphia with him. That's where I'm from. And um, yeah, buying, essentially taking him to buy drugs. Um, He told me again, like, so he was with me that whole night. And um, he told me he needed me to drive him to get food because he needed to have something. He needed to like put something in his stomach. And I was like, all right, let's get in the car. And when I heard the GPS give the address where we were going, I recognized the address, which is in North Philadelphia. And I was like, no, absolutely not. I tried to turn the car around. He grabbed my steering wheel and he was screaming at me to drive, drive, drive. And forcing my steering wheel, I drove because I was afraid. Do I roll out of the car? I remember we passed a police officer on the way and I debated on, should I try to roll out of the car? And I thought, we're going too fast. I can't. Like, that is crazy to me to think about. But at the time, that was like a normal day. I mean, not a normal day, but like, now I was completely blinded, completely blinded. Um, And now I thought, it's my fault now because I took him to buy drugs. Now it becomes my fault because why didn't I just leave you on the side of the street? It was very easy for him to twist those situations to say, well, you took me or he would wake up the next morning and say it never even happened. Um, Gaslighting is so, so damaging. Um, Emotional abuse has the potential to kill you eventually because it's so um, it's so much more damaging than people think. He would wake up and say, 
oh, I didn't know what I was doing. I, it was a big mistake. It hardly even ever happened. And I thought, well, if he's saying it so with so much certainty in his voice and with so much, um, so definitively, maybe it didn't happen the way I thought. Like, this is crazy. And so that's how, that's how it happens. Do you want to jump into the certain sexual act? Yes. So this is, this is a tricky part, but I really want to share this because I think, I think there's girls out there who have had this experience and I want to be specific with what happened here because yeah, I just think more people have experienced this specific thing than I think. And um, yeah, it's difficult. I'm, I'm nervous to share this because I haven't, I haven't shared this blatantly anywhere else. And I've like hinted at it on TikTok, but nothing to the extent of like actually explaining it. Um, so he basically became obsessed with a certain sexual act. He was always obsessed with it, I guess, but he he wanted to try anal with me. Like he was like, "Would you would you ever do anal?" And I was like, "No, I don't want to do that." Like I'm not. I don't want to do it. Sorry. That's if that's something you've done before, like cool, but nope, I'm good. And so I made that very clear like I don't want to do this. And I think my body knew that his intentions with doing this specific act were like um just demonic and like ill intended I never believed in my body that he wanted to do it for like pleasure that was just like pure intentions um I always felt that his motives were evil and that I needed to protect myself from this certain sexual act that he wanted to do Um, but in September of 2020, um, he was drinking one night and he turned on me. He turned on me out of nowhere. I remember I was changing music on my phone. We were listening to music and I just remember his eyes turned on me. Like he just seemed dark and, um, he asked me who I was texting. I remember his eyes just pierced at me. Who are you texting? I said, I'm not, I'm changing the music. Like, don't, and I knew in that moment that this is the type of night we were about to have. That when he turned on me like that, I was in for quite a night. That was going to be scary, fearful, not good. And um, even at this time, I still felt like I didn't have anything to put my finger on. Like, I'm afraid of him because of this, because he did that because he hadn't punched me or hit me I felt like well, why am I afraid of him mm. you know maybe I'm making it up but um yeah I knew that his eyes switched up on me and he basically um started grabbing me pulling my hair he would be very sexually violent and he he was essentially attacking me mm. is what it is what it was like. And he slammed my face into him to do 
the first sexual act that he wanted to do. He slammed my face into him so hard that I thought he broke my nose. And I grabbed my face because I thought my nose was bleeding. And like, it wasn't. And I thought like, that's weird that my nose isn't bleeding. But I, um, I had realized a few days later that um, he, he had texted me a few days prior and said, I want to F your face and break your nose. LOL. Laughing emoji, laughing emoji, heart, something like that. He always hid these violent, and that's, looking back, that's blatant. That's crazy for someone to say that to me. Like, oh my God, that's violent in itself. But at the time I thought he's just trying to be like, he's just trying to be dirty. And every dirty thing he ever said to me over text, every uh, dirty thing that was supposed to be a joke turned into reality. It was always truth always truth and so after he I thought he broke my nose um I think I I would often try to lean into the experience because I my instincts told me if I if I start pulling away he might get more agitated and become more violent so I would try to be like oh you know um I would almost try to uh what's the word disarm him and just kind of act like I didn't know what just happened to avoid him getting more agitated. And so we continued to do stuff together. And um, essentially what happened is he, he forced himself on me um, with the anal sex and he essentially attacked me. Um, That's the word I use for it because that's what happened. It was the most blatant thing ever. He just, he grabbed me and forced himself on me. And I, it was an experience like screaming, like, I'm sorry that this is probably too much, but I know that someone out there has experienced this act. And I just apologize. Like, because this is like, this is what I'm like, we've had, I don't know if you've listened, but we've had sexual trauma on the podcast before and sexual. Okay. Um, So it's nothing new to us. Every story is unique. (laughs) Please share it. Yeah. No TMI. You share as much as you're comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. So he forced himself on me. And if you've ever done this specific act, it's not something that can be forced on at all. It takes, I mean, I don't, I don't do it, but like, you can't just do that. He, he forced it on me with no preparation, nothing. Um, And that is a pain that is undescribable it's it can injure you it can make you pat black out like it is extremely violent um if it's not an agreed upon thing and especially with no warning nothing no agreement to it no preparation it was um the physical pain of it was like unimaginable it was so weird and it was like an experience where I was in like sheer terror, like I was screaming. It wasn't, there were other times when he like sexually coursed me and that is sexual assault. That's violence as well, period. But this was so violent that like, I thought for sure, I'm gonna be able to hold on to this 
tomorrow and I'm obviously leaving him for good. Like he just raped me. Right. Like, obviously I'm, I can never be around this person again. He needs to go to jail. Like I, this was the first time I almost called 911. Uh, what happened was I broke away from him. I ran up to my room and I locked my door and I, I, I was in such a state of shock that I couldn't process what had just happened. I, I was just in shock. And um, I almost, that was the first time I almost called 911 because I was so afraid of him. And I thought, well, he could be arrested for this. That's how blatant it was. And I just, I didn't because I thought, well, he didn't, he didn't finish. Like, did he really rape me? Or he didn't, did I scream loud enough? Did I, was I clear enough with him beforehand that I didn't want to do the sexual acts? Because when I responded to his message, I was kind of like, haha, yeah, right. Like, we're going to do that. I already told you I didn't want to. Right. It's kind of like, haha, yeah, right. I thought maybe he, maybe he misinterpreted. And because he's drunk, maybe he didn't know what he was doing. Well, sure enough, the next morning, I think I stayed locked in my room the rest of the night. I honestly do not remember like hardly any of that night, but the next morning we woke up and the next day I confronted him and I said, Hey, like, um, why? Like, I just want to let you know that what happened terrified me. And like, I don't think I can like move forward with this and like, I don't really know what to call it, but can you just give me some understanding of what happened? Like I was searching for comfort in the person who had just hurt me because he was both my abuser and my rescuer. He was the one who abused me and rescued me repeatedly. And so I needed my comforter now. I needed his, I needed closure from him to know what happened so that I would get enough strength to put a word to it. Yes, he raped me right. so that I would have enough strength to walk away. Right. And he, um, he said that he didn't know what he was doing because he was drunk. He didn't know which act which sexual act he was doing and that he couldn't feel anything and that it essentially never happened at all mm. and he said it so definitively and so with so much truth that it registers in your brain as the truth and people people who haven't been through this stuff like don't understand how that can be possible right um but your brain registers it registers it as the truth when they say it with so much um, certainty and I once again thought I missed my chance again this is now insane like who is he and you know can I just not remember anything mm -hmm. I really started going insane yeah I think that's um A really moving moment here in this space because like not only did he continue to strip away who you are over time but he really mm -hmm. away your ability to make choices and decisions for yourself because you felt like you were under this umbrella of you know constantly striving to be accepted, loved, valued, to have this like, you know, consistency with him that didn't mm -hmm. alter his, uh, you know, the way he was, his instability, um, mm -hmm. while also like 
you being conditioned sexually where he's taking out his aggression on you and mm-hmm. being stripped away of who you are and you're in a you're becoming like increasingly it's becoming increasingly more difficult to listen to your intuition mm-hmm. uh, and it's like it's like a little tiny voice that is like further mm-hmm. broken away and you like can kind of hear it still but it's like so silent that you like don't really know yeah, it's so silent and yes to hear that you're in that situation where you're like so vulnerable and he just kind of I mean he had zero respect for your body zero yes correct it's like heartbreaking and I'm I'm like I know it's like a topic where sharing that is so vulnerable but it's also so common and it's not to say that your experience obviously isn't you it is unique and I know that you share and advocate on TikTok and I'm sure you've had tons of people who've reached out to you or have commented and and just in your story in general related but Mm -hmm. on the podcast we've had several stories of sexual assault within marriage and within relationships and yes I think it's like really interesting listening to this because like for me um whenever I was married I never really thought much about our sex life because our sex life was pretty non-existent I would say like it we had one but we we didn't really like near near the last like couple of years I mean it was farther and few between but when it was happening it was never like let's make love let's Mm -hmm. let's like make love let's like be intimate this is like a mutual thing together it was always like a almost like a kind of like sick kind of like let's take advantage of you or like let's um dominate your body and that was like the only type of intimacy that we had was like, let's dominate your body. Let me be in control of your body. And mm-hmm. um, just listening to your story, like I've never shared that before. And that's not to like take away from your story, but just to like no, yeah. resonate and also like just say that it is something that I think is really interesting because as abusive men, there's this like innate thing to, to have control and to yeah. feel viral at the loss of control and I think a body of like a woman and dominating that body it's like almost this like sick ego boost for men who are Mm -hmm. and I experienced this as well and I would never have really pieced that together if it weren't for listening to past stories and then I think particularly your story because it kind of gave me a little bit of a flashback of just like my own intimacy and in ways where I left those intimate moments feeling filthy. And I don't know how you felt like leaving that particularly. I'm curious to know, like, how did you, were you, I know you said you were like, what just happened? But I would imagine you were like grieving, but didn't really know how to grieve because you didn't know if it was like something you could grieve. Yes, correct. And I think, uh, you know, like I said, there's multiple themes that run through the story. And with the addiction portion of it, he always wanted me looking off in the direction of his addiction. So he, he wanted me thinking the main problem is his addiction. Oh my gosh, we're just so consumed by this. Uh, When really his main issue had was power and control. He was, he was an abuser. And, you know, it's like, I never thought that his issue was power and control. I didn't realize I was being abused. And 
Um, but my body could sense that he was taking out his anger on me through sex or through different forms of disrespect. My body knew he was taking out his anger on me. Mm -hmm. And, um, he painted it as, well, I'm so stressed with other things that I need a stress release. And, you know, you're helping me. You're helping me. If we, if I can just release my stress and we can have a better sex life, then, then I'll be able to then treat you better. Like, and it, it's like the reward. The reward is always right in front of you. Okay. Well, if I'm just this, then, then this will happen. But, um, it also confused me because I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but I, I almost didn't want the complete opposite at the same time. I never wanted to be abused or have sex that was uncaring, but I was beginning to think that if the sex wasn't like, like this, then I didn't want to be bored. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to have something that was not passionate. I almost started associating the word passion with the abuse because he was so rough surrounding sex and so like overbearing that I thought if I walked away from him and had another experience like in my life that you know, do I want the opposite? Well, yes, the answer is I do want caring sex and I want to have, you know, I want to be loved. Mm. But I started associating the abuse with a form of passion that if I walk away from this, what's the opposite of this? I just became so used to his nature that I thought maybe this is what I want. Not the, not the violent incident that happened, but like, I think people get confused. One quick question. Were you a virgin when you guys had sex? Like with your- No, I was <clears throat> I was not, no. Mm-mm. So I had had experiences before and I had a relationship with God later in life. So I had already had experiences before that. And like yeah, I wanted to wait. I wanted to know what God had for me. Uh, prior to meeting him mm-hmm. and so yes I had had experiences before but nothing like this this just completely swept me off my feet it completely overpowered who I was mm. I I just yeah. asked that question just because um like even uh like circling or you know transitioning over to like um familial abuse like a lot of uh mm-hmm as you, you know, people have sexual trauma. And I, I did some research on this in particular and like you said, like it, for you initially, this type of like sexual aggression was startling to you. Um, Mm -hmm. over time it became something that almost like to my understanding, it like almost like in a disturbing way excited you because it was like Mm -hmm. shared as a trauma bond with someone and it's really hard to to there's nothing I want to say this there's nothing wrong like with somebody who is mutually interested in getting a little crazy in the bedroom like right that's what I'm trying to say uh the lines get blurred yeah like that's what you want to do like that's fine like all for it like go for it but this wasn't Mm -hmm. 
well, this was conditioned. He was, he was conditioning you. And so what right. I'm thinking and what I've done research on is like, in like, let's use the example of childhood abuse. Um, you're sexually abused by a family member um, or you're assaulted um, mm-hmm. as you get older or whatever. Um, those types of sexual like aggressions, um, they actually yeah. carry into <laughs> like as you get older. And so then when you're intimate, it actually is like difficult for like women to even like orgasm just in mm-hmm. making love to somebody because they have this I don't even know like what the term is I I'm I have no idea I'm not yeah I know what you're I know what you're talking about so yeah that um that orgasm that you become desensitized to certain things sort of yes but also like you have a harder time like orgasming to like just basic love because you have had Mm -hmm. like an assault or you've had like a um yeah kind of situation where it then like almost translates into you wanting that or feeling that excitement from that because it's like I don't know how to explain it it's just I did some research on this and I thought it was so perfect and I'm going to figure it out and put it in the show notes because it was an article I read and I thought it was really interesting but off topic kind of oh no 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 that that is completely relatable and yeah the lines just get blurred so much um Especially having not, and I always encourage people to look at the context of the relationship. Uh, If you are finding yourself after a sexual experience, looking in the mirror and feeling sad, looking in the mirror and feeling like what just happened, then something's wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I just specifically always remember looking in the mirror after we had some kind of experience and I was like I don't recognize myself I'm there but I don't and it was weird I almost felt like God saw me in those moments that he wasn't turning his head from me I felt like he saw me in those broken moments when I had just been had a experience with my ex and when I looked in the mirror and just thought something's not right I'm sad and yeah, you have to look at the context of the relationship, like with certain things with sex. It's like, what is their motive? Mm-hmm. And is this mutual? Mm-hmm. So, but I want to also touch on something else. Yeah. And we'll try to speed it up here a little bit. But um, during this time frame when we were still dating and these traumatic events had happened. He was in, uh, he had went back to school for a period of time to study for his master's degree. He had been sober for quite a while at this point. And he decided that he had this newfound passion that he wanted to go back to school. He wanted to help other people stay sober and clean. And he was going to study psychology and um, basically jump into that world and he uh, started going to taking online class online classes through a christian university and this was all during the time where these some of these worst events happened he was at a christian university studying psychology i mean it sounds fake but this is what i was dealing with right this is the monster that i was dealing with um i questioned where does this leave me Here's this man, he's literally studying the cycle of abuse in his psychology class. 
uh, he had, I remember he had this awakening one day that, oh my gosh, I've been abusive to my past partners. Like I, he, he told me he was abusive to his past partners and that he needed to somehow make it right. Cause his whole world was making amends to people. He was working a program and he was like, I need to make amends to people. And I remember thinking, where does this leave me? I could have sworn he's been abusing me. Like right. I thought I had him figured out. And I just want to say like abusers do apologize at times. Yeah. They may not all, they may not all be the same way, but like my abuser apologized all the time, tearfully, very self-aware. Um, I love that you said that, like love, 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 because yeah. I, um, something that someone said to me once that I thought was like so good um, when I was living in Europe um my so my aunt she she's like yeah my family friend she's my aunt she said to me um, I had reached out to her she actually have, was the one who flew me from Europe back to the United States um when I left okay. and I remember in those last days it was like a stretch it was a stretch and I was like I don't know if I'm gonna survive this and I told her I said but he said he's sorry and he said that he's yes, correct he he was tearful and he was apologetic and he realizes what he's doing and he's even saying I'm this is what I'm doing I he realizes it so he's going to change and I remember her looking at me and saying okay she's he said sorry to you but but um has he gone to therapy and I remember looking at her and being like well no he's she's like has he read the book I'm like well no She's like, well, has he mm-hmm. she starts asking the actions to back up the words? And I'm like, well, no. Mm-hmm. And she's like, right. sorry is not actions. And until you see continual actions, you need to remove yourself from that situation. And to this day, he's still not, he, he's still the same person he was three years ago. And mm-hmm. so I really like that you said that because abuse yeah. is so apologetic and feels so mm-hmm. genuine in those moments. Yes. And I realized that it, it may even be possible for them to feel feelings of embarrassment and regret and um, just like, I don't know the other word, but it's possible for them to feel types of ways towards their abuse and yet still do it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do apologize. And it's like, that's why it's so believable because they, they can cry. They can do all the things. They can even feel bad about it but it's going to happen again because the issue is in their values and their, well, I believe it's a values issue. It's, it's the core of who they are. They're abusive and um, you know, it'll happen again because that that's what doesn't change is that core. And I was told many times, well, if he's willing, he can be changed. That was the theme uh, at the end of my story was people within our church were telling me, well, if he's willing, he can be changed. Well, my husband was having a new awakening. Every other day was a new awakening. He wanted, he said he wanted to be changed all the time. How much longer can I hold on? I couldn't. Um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he painted that whole scenario as uh, Grace, this is drastic improvement. I've done worse to my exes. This is improvement. Uh, this is me trying to turn a new leaf. I'm studying for my master's degree. Like I'm back in school. He made a video about um, how he was an abusive boyfriend to someone. I mean, it sounds made up, 
but it is so sick that he really had this big, what he thought was a turning point, and yet he was still abusing me the whole time, the whole time. So what ended up happening, and this is like the um, kind of like the second phase of the story, which I'll try to get through quickly, but he ended up eventually going to this uh, Christ-centered addiction program that's very intense. It was in another state. He wanted to get clean for good. He had had like a slip back at, at one point and he decided to go to this program for a year and it was really like a solid place. So I was like, oh, wow, like if he's willing to commit to this, like he's going to be changed after right. like, he's going to really be changed. And still in my mind, I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to leave him while he's there. Like he'll be in good hands. I don't have to worry about him threatening suicide. I don't have to worry about him relapsing. Like I'll leave him now. Um, but as soon as he went, he started writing me letters every day. And he was allowed to write me letters by the people that ran the program, which at the time I was like, okay, I didn't think anything of it, but like he wrote me a letter every single day about how he was, how God changed him. And the Lord is just working miracles in his life. And he is having all these realizations and about how sick he had been before. And he is just on fire for God. Like he is just really doing well. I got a letter in my mailbox every day. Mm. Um, so to say the least, I stayed because the people in charge, and this was a strict place, like they have a high success rate. Um, I thought, well, if they're letting him write to me, then they must see that he's, he's doing good. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was very much a combined thing from people who I saw as being in charge within a church body combined with his manipulation. Again, there was now no way I was going to leave again. Mm -hmm. I missed my chance again is what I felt like. Mm -hmm. um, he had been quote unquote good for almost that whole period of time. Like, he could go long periods of time. And the thing that remained was always the subtle disrespect. Mm. And, um, you know, he did so good in the program that he was allowed to graduate early. And like that whole time period, I oddly felt at peace. I was like, well, he's so different. Like he's so different. I felt so at peace. Um, and how could that be possible when all those violent, gruesome things that happened in the past but um yeah I felt like he's changed and I'm at peace and nobody's going to tell me different now now I really had the momentum to like my family doesn't know what they're talking about now mm. because my family um I wasn't raised in a Christian home and like they just didn't know what it was to be changed right like oh mm. now I really have fuel to just stick it right back to them like I was like you are not coming between this because because now I finally am on good ground and, you know, yeah. uh, I'm doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. So. Uh, I think that's just like, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> you can't even see me, but I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> listening to your story is just like, a, my mind is just whirling around because it's like, I relate I so much, resonate so much. I just think it's such a, such yeah. a 
strong story and I just, there's just so much so much to unpack there and I feel like yeah that's okay <laughs> no I'm just I'm like I think just that what you said particularly where you're like yeah I didn't know if my family or my family now they really couldn't prove their point because he was different yeah yeah I don't know yeah. so well spoiler alert he wasn't different and um a couple of red flags like even though he had been really good during that whole time there were again the subtle disrespect remained there and I remember um like at my bridal shower it was supposed to be my special day and he he got mad at me because I didn't say grace before everybody ate which is so strange to me because I believe that praying and your prayer life is based on like just the desire to do it like you can just talk to God and be like oh my gosh this is what I'm dealing with like thank or just gratitude like your prayer life should spring from gratitude and not a duty to be like okay I have to pray right in this moment and I understand praying before eating but like he made it such a duty he just stripped away the whole like heart behind it to me prayer life is like I'm gonna pray because I want to talk to God and that's it. Or I want to give him thanks. And he got so mad at me because he found out that I didn't say grace at my shower. And he was like, I don't want my future wife to be known, right? My wife. I don't want my wife to be known for anything other than your relationship with God mm. is the way he framed it. And I remember crying so hard that night to my aunt. I had moved in with my aunt because my parents and I got in a huge fight. And I cried so hard. I was devastated. For some reason, that instance really hurt me. I think because it revealed the whole theme that was going on in my story at the time is that he was now controlling me spiritually. And like, I still didn't know what to call it. I was like, well, I do believe in that I should have been like, doing that but not really I'm like it's fine everybody was having fun like oh yeah and then things like he demanded that we got married in his hometown um we he didn't want to get married in mine we were long distance at the time and he would frame it like oh we're gonna do whatever you want Grace and then I would tell him what I want yeah I think I want to have it in my hometown what how could you be so disrespectful? I've spent a whole year up here for you getting my life together. And you want to have it in your hometown where your family doesn't even care about us. How about you come up with my church family who actually gives a crap about us and we'll get married here. And that's what we did. Mm -hmm. So now the divide started to happen. Now my family's the enemy and his church family is now our new family. Mm -hmm. Um, he, I remember asking him, like, we should get premarital counseling just to talk about what it's like to be married and see if it's, like, the right thing. Never happened. The premarital counseling never happened. Yet, uh, once he, once we got married and when I started heading towards divorce, he got us counseling immediately. Immediately he got us counseling with a couple who would, he would be able to win over and say, look, my wife wants to leave me. Like, you know. That's when we got marriage counseling immediately because he felt me slipping away. But premarital counseling? No, 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 no. Because what if they uncovered? What if they uncovered that this was the wrong thing? Right. 
we got married exactly a year later after he had completed his program um, in the town where, so he went up to this program and um, let's see, we decided that we were going to kind of settle there for a little because he was now so close with all these people. And it was like really very much his support system as far as sobriety went. So we were like, well, if we're going to get married, we should be near your support system for a short period of time. So we um, ended up moving up there away from my hometown to be near his support system, which was also our church. So this program was affiliated with a church and their program's really good. Um, There were some things that were not, which I'll talk about, but we moved up there and that's when the division finally severed between my family and I is when I moved up there and we got married, um, yeah, the day he graduated, which is so embarrassing. I Some of these things are so embarrassing for me to share because, like I said, I was completely blinded by this whole thing. There were so many sick things going on that I was just um, going insane. Like, I was out of my mind. And we got married the day he graduated the program. And so, like... Like there's an absolutely like that's just such a yeah. like response that we have, like where we feel this like shame almost of like, how did I not yeah. see this? But you didn't see it because you were in it, <laughs> you know? And I know. It's I know. Yeah. And we got married. This is the uh this is a perfect picture of what I was dealing with is the fact that we got married. Actually, we got married the day before he officially graduated this program. So when he first went away, he was like, I want to, I still want to marry you. I still want to get married to you. Will you marry me if I am good? You know, like if I do this and I never said like, yeah, I promise to marry you if you check this box. But again, the letters started coming. One thing leads to another. Well, um, we got married the day before he graduated. He wanted to ensure that I was going to marry him. And so we got married the day before. And he never said blatantly to me, this is why I want to get married, like, the day of. Um, But that's, of course, that's what it was. It's like, I remember wanting to wait until, like, late summer to get married because I wanted to see how he really was. Like, how are you going to be when you're not at this place anymore? And are you really different? So I thought that'll give us the perfect window of time. Or even maybe we get later married, like, next fall. And then, you know, that'll give us the perfect time. Nope. He was so offended that I had to, that I wanted to wait at all. And so he acted very hurt and very offended by it. And that in itself was a sign that he was not changed at all. If someone is acting offended by the need for you to continue to build trust with them after it's been destroyed, that's a sign right there that they're not any different. Um, yeah guys we're gonna go ahead and just do two episodes and then uh i'll probably just release the next episode before thursday if we can record um we'll just go i'll I'll talk to you about it but thank you so much guys for listening and tune in on monday because i actually have a special episode for you guys and i'm really excited for you guys to listen to it um thanks guys